With the gathering, we sought to create a curated worship experience where people can be present with God and they can be present with themselves. Um, it's a space rooted in diverse traditions, uh, full of expansive welcome and hopefully courageous growth. And the gathering is for everyone and especially those who are a little church avoidant. And uh, we really think about folks who serve others or lead in faith communities. You are listening to the Faithonomics podcast, the podcast that elevates the stories, experiences, and wisdom of faith-inspired doers from authors and activists to clergy and social impact leaders. I am your host, Race Lamb. Let's get inspired together. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the show. In the guest chairs this week, we have Kim Pettigrew and Anna Flagg, who are the co-creators of a new worshiping experience in Winston-Salem, North Carolina called The Gathering. During today's show, they share how they brought this idea from concept to reality, how The Gathering is uniquely different from traditional church, as well as how they have managed their own health and expectations during this ministry creation process. I am so excited to have them with us today, so let's get started. Anna, Ken, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having us. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. And for full transparency to our listeners, I should say that Anna, Ken, and I actually go way back, uh, all of us being classmates together at Wake Forest University School of Divinity once upon a day. So when they told me about this idea they had for a worshiping space without the traditional churchiness uh, that often accompanies our times of worship together, I knew they were on to something. And, and here we are. And I'm really excited to uh, kind of dive into this conversation with, with both of you. So, uh, Anna, Kenneth, to um, begin, um, I was hoping you could kind of tell us a little bit about what sparked the idea that would eventually become The Gathering. And and we'll get into what The Gathering actually is in, in just a moment, but we want to start with kind of that initial spark. So where, where did this idea come from? Yeah, so Anna and I both had the pleasure of serving on the worship committee during our time at Wake Div. And we come from two really different kind of experiences and perspective, both on what church has been um, and what worship means to us and the kind of beautiful things that worship can create for a community of folks. Um, And so I think for both of us in the times that we reconnected after graduating, uh, (laughs) there were regular conversations about the fact that we missed the intentionality and that rhythm of worship. Um, that we experienced at Wake Div, and we're just like, gosh, this would be something so great to actually be able to go to, you know, sometime. And for both of us, I guess we had that thought and we kind of just sat on it. And then we ran into each other um, at an event. And Anna was like, friend, I have this idea. We should talk. So we scheduled brunch and we got together and we talked about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I've been thinking about the exact same thing. Um, and that is basically how the gathering was born. Um, 
we both have ADHD. And so having that initial conversation to actually having our first pop-up service this past April um, was a journey, but it was a beautiful kind of moment of intentionality that the excitement of what this could be and what it is, uh, we made some good decisions that we moved forward. Like we don't schedule something, it'll never happen. And so that's how the gathering came to be. Awesome. Uh, I I know some really great ideas always happen over brunch. So I'm glad you two got together and, and made this happen. Uh, so uh, to to kind of pause here and go a little bit deeper. So um, for uh, our listeners who may not follow you on Facebook or Instagram or may not have attended a gathering yet, um, tell us a little bit about what the gathering is in, in your own words. Yeah, so I mean... Uh... You know, we throw out the word worship um, as this word that we assume that so many people are familiar with, uh, those of us especially who are connected to any kind of ministry or theological education. And a lot of people, if they don't have that uh, theological training or background, you know, they just think about church. Oh, you're talking about worship, you're talking about church. And the the two can feel synonymous, but the gathering is intentionally not connected to a church body. And that is because we want to preserve really the worship experience. And so what that means for the gathering is that there is always going to be intention in the flow of the service and the components of the service, but there is never going to be two services that are the same. Um, and even, even if we were to follow the lectionary and read the same texts every three years, the services will just never be the same because every single service is planned out with intention, with however the spirit is moving. And for some people, what they experience, a lot of it might feel familiar. And for some people, a lot of it might feel really like a stretch, like, oh, I've never experienced this in a worship service. And the intention is hopefully that people will experience both, something that's both familiar and grounding, but something that also stretches them in their own kind of theological exploration or, or their relationship with spirit or however you might define it. Awesome. So um, you've been uh, very intentional in in branding the gathering as something distinctly different from church. And uh, that was uh, evident in, in what you were just uh Speaking of Anna, so I wonder what it is about traditional church spaces for uh, the both of you that motivated you to create this alternative. Like, like what did you find lacking in traditional church? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll start from my perspective as the you know, and and this is some people can you read this as a, a value judgment and it isn't in any way but of the two of us i'm the one who's most actively involved in a weekly worshiping body um and so for me as a as a minister and as a person who worships weekly sometimes what you experience in church is the just perfunctory realities of being a leader in a church space and oftentimes that means you can't worship 
Um, you can have experiences, you can hear and feel things sometimes, but if you're logistically minded or if you know, uh, in our, in, in my case, maybe you're going to have to baptize three babies and you're not sure who's going to have an attitude that morning, you're already <laughs> trying to work through all of that. And you get to miss some really beautiful things that happen in worship. And the gathering, especially for folks who lead in worshiping spaces, is an opportunity, even if you are leading in that space, for you to still be able to sit still um, and to experience the intentionality and how that service is planned. And so for me individually, I will say that is one of the things that makes the gathering, I believe, so important because folks who lead in worshiping spaces for others often don't get an opportunity to worship. No, that is, um, that is beautifully said. Uh, as, as both of you know, I've, I, uh, served as a, uh, a lead pastor for close to a year, uh, at, at Wake Forest Baptist church here in Winston-Salem. And, um, I understand can exactly what you're saying. Cause I, the first time I, I felt worship, I felt in that entire year was the, fir the first Sunday following the closing of the church, uh, where wow. I actually went on a hike instead of wow. up in the morning, rushing to the church building, setting up the altar space, making sure the musicians were there on time. There was just a lot of logistics, uh, at, at play. Um, and I realized it was really that first Sunday afterwards where I was able to, you know, pause and take that breath and kind of be one with the divine in a space that was not church. Um, and it it was, you know, I just got caught up in leading for the past year that I never really had that opportunity to, to worship. So, so thank you for, for naming that for so many of us uh, who are in uh, leadership positions with, within these spaces. Um, and something you brought up uh, kind of leads me to uh, my, my next question. So which is really around the structure of the gathering. So if there's one thing that I think church does well, uh, regardless of what uh, denomination you are coming from or what faith tradition you are coming from, is that uh, it knows how to create a hierarchy, right? Um, and oh. I like coming from Baptist spaces, which is uh, which are supposed to be very congregational and kind of co-leading and, and things like that. But there is always a hierarchy in kind of church leadership structure and, and things like that. Who's in charge? What are they in charge of, et cetera? Um, so can you explain a little bit about how you have structured the leadership of the gathering to truly be kind of this uh, communal uh, leadership style among everyone who is present and everyone who's participating? Yeah. Um, so this, this touches a little bit on what Ken was just talking about as well in terms of, um, you know, what the gathering can provide that's different than church. So um, there's a, something in our in our um, explanation that talks about the church avoidant, and I will gladly raise my hand to say, yes, that is, I am the church avoidant person. And it leads, it dovetails into this idea of um, leadership because Again, going back to the experiences at a worship committee at Week Divinity, um, what I experienced was a really collaborative process where everybody worked together to make these worship experiences happen. And there was leadership, but there, you know, there was not somebody in charge, so to speak. 
And I really think that we've modeled the gathering kind of off of this. We invite people to come in and be creators with us. Um, you know, right now it's Ken and I, and uh, we're kind of doing the bulk of it. And the intention is not for us to necessarily remain in the most leadership roles, but as hopefully as time goes on and people gain more interest and they are like, wow, you know, I really want to help create something, uh, too. You know, I want to part, I have this really great idea for a worship experience and I want to try this thing. Like we we love that. Come on in and do that. And the other part of it is like, even if you don't want to like curate a worship experience, there are so many other ways that you can be part of the gathering where the leadership is really a shared model that everybody that's here has something to contribute and you can contribute according to your gifts and abilities and whatever that is, that is valued. And it's part of this community and it's not only valued, it's necessary and integral to what it is that we're trying to create. Awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I have uh, uh, truly enjoyed. So I've I've had the opportunity to to be a part of, of a couple of your uh, worship services so far. Um, and one thing I, I really appreciate so far is that you do let everyone kind of claim a role, even if that role is just being a supporter of the gathering, being present, um, sitting still in the space, whatever it is, and, and you give them kind of a a title. So um I I want to mention these because I think they're great, but uh, you have uh, uh, kind of the what I call the four C's. I don't know how y'all kind of refer to them internally, but uh, yeah, yeah uh, the curator, the cultivator, the collaborator, and then the one that I really am drawn to, which is the co-conspirator. Um, and um, Anna, you were just kind of talking about, you know, the, the curators are the ones who who come and kind of serve in worship. They help kind of lead the worshiping experience. Um, but that isn't for everyone, and not everyone sees themselves uh, kind of thriving within that role or, or want to be in that role. Um, so the way that y'all have kind of shaped these other areas, the, the cultivator are the one who kind of regularly attends uh, uh, worship service, financially supports the worship service, et cetera. The collaborator um, who uh, uh, kind of attends semi-regularly um, or may financially support semi-regularly, you know, but, but they may not be there kind of present every, every single time. Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, the co-conspirator, co-conspirator who uh, kind of how you've declined or defined that person is just the enthusiastic supporter of the gathering in spirit and future trajectory or in service, which I just, I love because sometimes that is all someone who is coming to a space of worship uh, can offer in that moment due to other things that are going on in their lives. So I really appreciate that y'all have just taken the time to kind of come up with these different roles and and let people self-select uh, kind of where they feel uh, uh, the most energy. So um, hopefully it won't just be you and Ken too much longer and, and more folks will start to, <laughs> to gather in. But um, in the meantime, just know, you know, from from my co-conspirator perspective, I, I'm really enjoying being a part of uh, kind of a, a worshiping space where I get to come and, and just be, uh, which is just been a really good thing for me uh, as of late. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, the one thing I'll I'll say about those categories is that the one thing that I think 
we want folks to also recognize about them is that there is no permanent barrier between them, that everything is kind of semi-permeable and that you can move and evolve through those spaces um, as you become a part of the gathering. Because, you you know, someone may come in very clearly in like a co-conspirator space and eventually move into curation space over time. And um, part of the, the, the freedom and the collaborative nature of how we we create worship and want worship to be created, both in terms of how we get to the worship service and then what's created in the moment of worship, um, is that whatever you're bringing that day is absolutely enough. Um, And that for everyone in that room, what you bring is going to be so important, even if you don't say a word, um, but you are simply present to worship. Yeah, beautiful. I wanted to add also, that going back to the previous question of like, how is this different than church? You know, as a person who has had very limited um, exposure to official church leadership, um, as a person who's been an attender in the past, one of the things that I have felt as part of a church body is consistent pressure to do more than what I'm doing. And my hope for the gathering is that all of these potential, you know, C categories that somebody might identify with, that they are all something that is actually nourishing when they part, when people participate in it and not something that is draining. So if, you know, if curating a worship experience is not something that the process even of it in and of itself is giving you some life, then like, that's not, that's not it right now. And that's beautiful. And that's good. And so there's another way if you just need to go back and be like, yeah, I am here for you. And I love this idea. And I just need to hit pause for a minute. Like, that's beautiful. I want you to be able to do that and not feel any kind of obligation or pressure. And because of that, that means that right now we meet once a month because Ken and I, you know, we need to be able to be rejuvenated by this process and not depleted. So we're not overextending ourselves. If we get, uh, you know, down the line, a hundred people who are regularly part of this and we can have services more regularly, that would be beautiful. But in the meantime, you know, it, the focus should always be, I hope that it is always on how is this nourish, nourishing you and giving, you know, keeping you in contact with the spirit and really fulfilling you and not something that's depleting. Mm, yes, that is um, beautifully said. I, I My mind immediately went to um, uh, those uh, churches of what I, I say, the churches of extroverts, um, because that is actually not what I am. I am not an extrovert. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, is the churches where you're visiting for the first time and, you know, um, before you ever even make it in the door, they are having you sign up for small groups or uh, for up, upcoming like uh, new member classes, things like that. And then before you know it, you're in a leadership position that uh, you didn't necessarily ever want to be a part of. And uh, the whole time, it's just draining you and draining you and draining you more and more. Um, So um, I I really love that um, uh, kind of notion of wherever you are in this arc, whether you are the one actively planning the worship or just coming to attend the worship, everything about this experience should be nourishing to you. Uh, So I I really appreciate uh, kind of the intentionality of of that space. Um, All right. So 
pivoting a little bit more into kind of the um, your lived experiences of getting the gathering off the ground. So a lot of the listeners here are uh, entrepreneurial ministers themselves or looking to create kind of new ways of doing ministry in this world. Uh, so I'm wondering if you could share, uh, and maybe both of you kind of from, from each of your perspective, uh, share what you have seen being the biggest challenge of getting the gathering off the ground. So I, I know you've only had a few worship services so far, um, but what has been the biggest challenge for each of you um, to this point? You want to start, Ken, or shall I? You can go ahead. Yeah, I. you know, for me, um, so Ken mentioned earlier, we both have ADHD. Uh, if I don't have it on my calendar, if I don't have some kind of external accountability, it's not going to happen. So that thankfully, exists. we've worked on making sure that we can support each other with some external accountability. The other thing I will say for me personally that is really challenging is that I did not grow up in, uh, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. Um, so generationally, there is a difference in terms of how I engage the world with technology and this idea of self-promotion. And so, you know, I don't ever want to be that person that is like, oh my God, here she comes. She's going to talk about the gathering again and I'm going to feel this pressure and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And like, that's something that's really hard for, even if I put something out on Facebook, it feels like, oh, I'm asking a lot from people. And that's like some internal work that I need to do just in terms of like how the social landscape is changing. Um, but that is, is really a challenge for me. And like, I really would love everybody that I know to come that we get so much out of it, but also I don't want to put pressure on people just like we talked about. Um, so holding that balance between ensuring that people know that there is a space for them, but also like not having the invitation be anything that encroaches on the regular relationships that we have with people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would say one of the biggest challenges, and I we will probably end up referencing ADHD a lot in this, in this conversation, but um, it's coming to terms with the fact that, much like Anna said, if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't exist. Um, and as a result, one of the most interesting challenges was actually just getting started um, because we were like, well, how do we do this? Like, do we set a rhythm? Do we do a thing? Like, what do we do? <laughs> and we leaned into the idea of doing a pop-up experience, uh, which happened in April, uh, and taking that experience and our learnings and feedback from the folks who attended um, to help us build out what is now the the gathering proper, I would say. Um, so just the challenge of getting started, because there are so many competing forces for um, your time, and there are so many things, be it internally or externally, that compete for your energy. That's something that even gives you um, grace and energy and a, a, a sense of something um, can even seem burdensome if you're not careful. Um, and 
so working through that piece of the of the starting process and recognizing yes this is fulfilling a need and yes it's fulfilling a need for me and for others um it is kind of one of the biggest challenges i think that we had mm, yes i i um i can relate to both of those so uh, Anna, I am not a, a Gen Xer. Uh, I am a millennial and I also struggle with self-promotion. It just does not feel natural to me, but I, it's something I'm having to uh, force myself to do um, as I kind of work to get faithonomics off the ground. So I, I understand where you are coming from uh, with with that angst uh, that lives inside you. Um, it's, it's a constant reminder to me of how critical we are of ourselves in the startup process of, of trying to get something off the ground. Um, and then Ken, I, the thing that came to mind uh, as you were speaking uh, and you also work in the nonprofit field, so you may have heard this and uh, Anna, you are a, a therapist. I am sure this phrase has probably come up in some of your work um, as well, but this idea of um, moving at the speed of trust, and it's often used Mm -hmm. um, in the sense of like, uh, you know, I am providing services to my client, I need to move at the speed of trust of my client. Um, But one of the best pieces of advice that I have been given in the past couple months is um, if you are working on a startup of, of any kind, whether it's it's in ministry, whether it's in the nonprofit space, whether it's in kind of the, the for-profit sector, um, you have to also move at the speed of trust of yourself. Um, and mm-hmm. it really was kind of this idea, this the first time that someone told me that, hey, it's okay for you to slow down. It's okay for uh, like faithonomics not to be a overnight success. It's okay if, you know, you, you set a date and then you need to revise that date and you need to push it back. And it was just, it was such a relief for me to have someone verbalize that that to me, um, especially as we all operate kind of within this larger economic system and this larger kind of cultural <laughs> uh, system where uh, things are supposed to be immediate, right? Um, oh, and yeah, if they're yeah. not an immediate success, <laughs> Then it's not a success, right? So um, yeah. I I appreciate uh, you know even though it may have taken you a few months to kind of get uh, the gathering from idea to pop up and then pop up to kind of this more uh, regular cadence. Um, I just I get the sense that you both are moving at kind of the speed of trust of uh, kind of you know we're going to move move this we're going to continue to move it forward but we're going to move it forward at a at a pace that is. Um, kind of rejuvenating for ourselves and uh, not overwhelming for ourselves. And I just really respect that. So, so thank you for, for naming both of those um, um, aspects. Um, so uh, another question that I know our listeners will be interested in knowing is um, any type of startup, whether it's the startup of a new uh, worshiping community or a new social enterprise, whatever it may be, requires funding. So Tell me, um, how and where does the money come from to make something like this happen? Um, and as with most projects, I'm sure initially the two of you are are probably bankrolling the project yourself and and kind of buying the necessary supplies or trying to get them donated. Um, but what is the long-term plan for making the gathering financially sustainable? That is a good question. One that I don't know that that we have uh, sat down and put numbers to paper. Yeah. And and I mean, I think one of the really beautiful things about this experience is that collaborative nature, um, because there are people who believe in the mission, um, 
one of the things that any kind of particularly like worship startup or or or, or new church plant or anything has to contend with is the issue of space, right? Um and and space and being able to get it and have it consistently is at a premium and we have just been really blessed in terms of be it music or space or participation that um folks are not showing up to that with the expectation of cost and um that's been just a really beautiful blessing in all of this. And we recognize for ourselves as people who work um, and as someone who manages an organization that that always may not be the case and that's fine. But for where we are right now, we're really grateful that we are getting to start in a community with folks um, who believe in this and they are providing things in some cases that we didn't realize we needed um but definitely things that we did see that we need um and yeah yeah and yeah the initial investments of um i mean the domain name and the getting the logo designed and other things yeah i mean that's coming out of our pockets and we would love as we say for folks to financially support the gathering and recognize that um, you know, we're really clear. Nobody's collecting a salary here. <laughs> and you'll find on our website because we tried to keep our FAQs, you know, pretty lighthearted. Um, that we say, you know, is there is there an opportunity or a need for financial support? And the answer is yes, because candles and Tibetan singing bowls are not free. <laughs> but we're not we're not collecting a salary, and you know, anything that we don't spend on worship, we would like to put in meaningful places um, of service in this community. Well, thank you for that. Uh, speaking of the FAQs, um, we'll, we'll share the website here in just a few minutes, but um, I don't know which one of you wrote those or if that was a collaborative experience, but they were really fun to just read through. Um, <laughs> I was uh, prepping for this uh, for this time together, um, just kind of the, the straightforwardness of the answers and, and kind of the, the comedic relief that, that came with that, but also it's, it's just everything uh kind of y'all talked about during uh our time together today um like the FAQs and just how you answered those um like proved true uh with, with that so how often does the gathering meet we don't really know um but you can help us answer <laughs> uh you know like what should I wear clothes um uh, you know things like that so um I I really uh, enjoyed kind of uh reading through those um so, uh, Ken, you you mentioned it um, in, in your last answer, and um, I, I hinted at it in um, uh, just a few minutes ago as well. But um, as you mentioned, you're you're not taking a salary from the gathering. Uh, this is not your kind of full time uh, vocational job. So you really are doing this kind of in addition to. Um, and knowing both of you, um, kind of outside of this uh, podcasting experience, I also know that um, like you're your plates are full. Um, and, and, you know, you, you've even been intentional about adding the gathering to to that plate. Uh, so um, 
a lot of us are out here kind of working these full-time jobs and then trying to also do something else uh, uh, on the side. And one of the biggest issues that always comes up as a part of that is um, kind of the lack of self-care. So I'm curious if you would be open to sharing at least one practice of self-care that you each practice um, to kind of make sure that you you don't get overwhelmed uh, with kind of your uh, your commitments as well as uh, kind of your work to get the gathering up and going. Would it be cheating if I said that curating worship experiences is a form of self-care? Um, no, you know, uh, I mean, no, um, that's, you know, that's a loophole for sure, but no, that doesn't. <laughs> Uh, that, that totally counts. So expand on that, Anna. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, the gathering is just such a creative process. And it, it really helps me to express my creativity and to be in conversation with other people. Like when we say collaboration and creativity and curation, and we use all these C words over and over and over again, it's it's from it's because for me partly because like it's just so true it is energizing to me to sit down you know with my good friend or other people in the community that we have good working relationships with and think about like all these crazy ideas like our last worship service horse with no name was the prelude and then our guest speaker sarah howell miller she did a whole mad libs of the text and it was hilarious and this is you know that that's just nourishing and playful and fun and it's creative and right now going back to what we were talking about earlier like these services are paced so that ken and i can really um sustain it um, and as we get more, more people, hopefully we can have more services. But for me, as long as it remains sustainable, that is something that is going to be contributing to my self-care. I get to go and be nourished by this space. I get to help participate in making this space available to people. This is an act of self-care for me. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you uh, for that, Anna. What about you, Ken? You know, uh, <clears throat> as a person who regularly encourages folks to participate in self-care, um, my self-care practices are often lacking. Um, but strangely enough, um, I kind of I kind of <laughs> actually agree with Anna in in one sense that um, I, I don't think anyone normally would say that any kind of planning meeting is self-care in any way whatsoever. But have you ever planned a worship service over a grit bowl or a hash brown bowl from Young Cardinal Cafe with a cup of coffee? And then you're sitting across the table from your friend and you're getting to think expansively and differently about texts that you've encountered or songs that you would never hear in church, but that directly fit the spirit of the text and what we're pulling out of it in that moment. Um, it's the thing that I think a lot of us kind of dream about in divinity school when it comes to even preparing sermons every week, having some kind of community in which we are able to dialogue and build um, and learn and and be shaped by that. And 
I really do think that the planning part of this really is actually one of the truest acts of self-care for me that is really, really intentional. Um, I think my other truest act of self-care is sleeping. Uh, um because I am I, I'm I'm busy. My my plate is regularly full between a full-time job and kind of other community-based commitments. Um it is the fact that I get to do this work um that really blesses me and and, and helps me sustain my work in other spaces. Um but also sleeping is just so beautiful and necessary and it is a lovely act of self-care for someone who could easily be up till two in in the morning doing things um, and being able to just choose to not do that is, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's it. Sleeping late and then joining your friend for brunch to plan a worship service. I feel like y'all have it all figured out. So so thank you uh, (laughs) uh, for for that. Um, All right. So as we, um, uh, first off, just thank you for for everything you have shared with us uh, during uh, this time together. Um, But uh, one final question uh, before we wrap up, if if our listeners uh, want to get in touch with you or attend the next gathering, um, how should they do it? Where should they go? Uh, tell us when the next gathering is planned. Kind of give us all the, the self-promotion. And uh, here's your opportunity to practice. Um, <laughs> um, so, um, what would you like for all our listeners to know? Yeah, you can find our website at uh, thegatheringws.org. You can email us. Oh, what is our email address, Kim? I should have it memorized. Uh, gathering, gatheringws at gmail.com. Great. And then our next service is uh, Thursday, October 26th at 7 p.m. We will be meeting at The Dwelling. They have been graciously and kindly offering to allow us to use their space. Um, And so, yeah, 7 o'clock on the 26th. And then if you look on our website, well, not on our website, on our Facebook page, you'll also be able to see the uh, remaining services, service dates for the rest of the calendar year through December. All right. Awesome. So if you are in the Winston-Salem area on the 26th, uh, we definitely invite you to join us all. Um, I hope to be there as well um, at uh, 7 p.m. at um the dwelling uh, here in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So uh, Anna, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and sharing more about your work with The Gathering. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us, Race. And if you are hearing this, thank you for listening and imagining new ways of doing ministry alongside us today. Uh, just as a reminder, you can connect with uh, Anna, Ken, and the Gathering community on Facebook at the Gathering WSNC. So that's uh, those last four letters are for Winston Salem, North Carolina. So find them on Facebook there or on Instagram at the Gathering WS, or visit their website uh, thegatheringws.org. Once again, my name is Ray Slam, your host, and you can connect with me on all your favorite social media platforms at Ray Slam. And thank you for listening to the Faithonomics podcast. We'll see you next week.